Thank you, musicians. We appreciate you this evening. How come it always feels like, well, not always, but a lot of times when you're singing the offering song, people just want to keep on singing? You get that feeling like that sometimes? It's like, we don't want to hear you preach. <laughs> Amen. Bring on the altar call. Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> Judges chapter 21, Ruth chapter 1. Both, if you're like my Bible, they're probably on the same page. It's been about a decade, but Mark Sanchez, he was the South Carolina governor. News came up that he was supposed to be hiking in the Appalachians when he was actually in... Um, where was he at? <laughs> he was down in Argentina with his mistress. <laughs> and so his wife, Jenny, obviously she's going to be in the spotlight. She was on an uh, interview. And uh, she made the statement. She said, uh, you know, when we got married, she said, I, I took a leap of faith. And this was back in 1989. And uh, she said that um, her husband, well, Mark, insisted on removing the vow of faithfulness from their marriage ceremony. She goes, uh, she said, it bothered me to some extent, but we were very young and we were in love. I questioned it, but I got past it. In reality, you can't get past the spouse's unwillingness to be faithful because a marriage without commitment is doomed to fail. You know, we have a contrast in our text, and that's why we're reading from two different books that is a contrast of faithfulness and unfaithfulness, amen. This is what we find in our text that we're going to read here this evening. Commitment to God tonight is the recipe for success. No matter what happens, what goes on is, you know what, ultimately, whatever decisions I have to make, they're all going to flow out of a commitment to God. But, you know, even, even the Bible pairs our relationship with God, our walk with God as a marriage. And so that's why when you go in the Old Testament, you read language like, you know, uh, you're committing adultery with other gods. Like, that's kind of strange language, you know. Even going future, right? We are the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. So marriage and our salvation have an identical platform of commitment and, and faithfulness. And so, yeah, to take a vow of unfaithfulness is, is crazy, <laughs> but it's just as crazy in people's walk with God. Amen. Let's consider this this evening, looking at God in the details tonight. Judges chapter 21, just one verse of scripture, just the last one, it said, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Chapter 1 of Ruth, we're not going to read the whole story. We're just going to touch on Ruth's commitment to God here. She says in verse 16 and 17, as she's entreating her mother-in-law to, to go with her, she says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I, I be buried. The Lord do to me, also, to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And of course, verse 18, so when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Let's consider this sermon this evening tonight out of these two books. 
because in actuality, these two books go together because Ruth finds her place in the book of Judges. That, that period of the Judges, this is where the story of Ruth comes out of. That in the midst of all the craziness that you read in Judges, you don't read about Ruth at all, but in that story of Judges is Ruth. It's just simply set aside by itself, but if you put them two together, historically, Ruth is happening at the same time that all the craziness is going on, the backsliding of Israel and all that, in the book of Judges. So that's why we put the books together, these two uh, texts together this evening. And I want to consider, first of all, looking at doing what you want. If you look at the book of Judges and you go back, it starts somewhere. And usually people doing what they want or doing what is right in their own eyes, it always goes back to disobedience. Somewhere along the line, they've crossed the line. <coughs> Excuse me. Somewhere along the line, they've crossed the line and they've never really stopped crossing the line. And I realize that could be anybody at any time. But we're talking about a people that they compromised and as time went on, slowly but surely, they were getting further and further away from God. And when you get to the end of the book of Judges, it's just horrendous to read sometimes, the things that were going on. But it started with a little compromise. It started with disobedience and maybe just a little bit of sin. No real fear of God or maybe some, but not much. It's not cultivating that close walk with God. It's believing in Him and so on and so forth, but for some reason, not cultivating a close walk with Him. And so as time went on, amen, you see that really what the enemy has done, if you look into this, the enemy has really created a beachhead and he has now access to the vital areas of our lives. And that's exactly what he did. He got into the very vital areas of people's Lives, amen, in Israel. And slowly but surely, as you get to the end of the book, they're so far away from God, they don't even look like the people that came out of Egypt. The devil starts getting in your head and creating all kinds of carnal reasonings for compromise and sin. It's crazy. See, the, our text in Judges is really the banner over this entire book. They did what was right in their own eyes. Not what pleased God, but really what suited them. Proverbs says in 14.12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but his end is the way of death. And so we're talking about things that seem right, whether we're following you know, what we would call our instincts, our inclinations, or really our desires. The message translation goes on to say, it leads to hell. This is where judges ended, amen. It ended in disaster. People pleasing themselves. And before you know it, they're pleasing themselves according to their own delusions that are going on in their head. Guided by opinion, maybe. Guided by what other people think or say. But not guided by what God says in his word. Or maybe what he said in times past. Because you know how it is, as you're living for God, there are certain things that are benchmarked in our lives. And God does that for a reason. That these, these are reference points as we go down the road. 
Because somewhere along the line, that is going to be a reference point for something goes on today. That God deals with things in our lives, amen. Whether it be giving or sacrifice or, or your time or something. And there's a moment, amen, that God places that in your life. But it's there, not just for that moment. It's there from that moment. And what happens is when you get further down the road, if you miss that, amen. If you don't miss, if you miss what God has said to you, no different than missing what God is saying to you. Those things in our lives, we develop, we develop uh, convictions at, at certain points of our lives. It's like, no, this is what I'm going to do. No, this is how I'm going to order my life. That never changes. That's kind of like a wedding vow. See, old Marky boy, he, had some, he, had, he must have had some kind of plan. Something was going on in his head. Because here he is getting married. At the beginning, he literally puts in his marriage, I'm not going to say that I'm going to be faithful to you. And doggone it, he was right. <laughs> here he is down the road, you know, 10, 10 years. He's off with a uh, South American mistress, you know. Our text says they had no king. Now we know the king is a government ruler, but he's also a spiritual ruler, like David, you know. As long as David was living for God, the country was doing well. They were blessed, they were, there was prosperity, there was protection. Didn't mean that everybody served God. In fact, people in David's household didn't serve God. But David had a heart after God's own heart. And you can see that, amen, as, as he's leading his nation. I know he didn't make all the right decisions. I realize, you know, the Bathsheba thing always gets brought up. But it doesn't change the fact of where his heart was. That he steps off in the wilderness for a moment, but when he comes back, he's not worshiping Moloch or, or, or Chemosh, amen. Those are not even on the horizon. He worships God, not Baal. Baal's not even in the picture. Doesn't even think about it, Amen. He's worshiping God. He knows who's the real God. He knows the living God. I was just thinking on the way my daughter was talking about somebody that she knows outside that doesn't want to go to any kind of public school because they don't want to be learned about evolution. She's a Christian girl. You know, but my thought, I mean, I can't, I just can't, you know, I know where I stand. In other words, I'm not going to be sitting in a, in a science class going, this evolution makes sense. Why not? Because I know who God is. I'm already grounded in the creator of the heavens and the earth. I'm already grounded in the God, amen, who made you and I. I mean, it's a no-brainer to I, me. Go ahead, throw your evolution nonsense at me. I got one question. Where did matter come from? All right, I'm done. Oh, oh, I guess. I, well, bang. That's your best answer. Bang. Anyways, that was a side note. But you know, here's David, and he has a heart after God's heart. In other words, this supplied blessing and covering. As long as you desired to live for God yourself, amen, that blessing was there. So apparently the idea of covering has powerful ramifications in Scripture. 
Because here's a man, amen, we know he's not perfect, but at the same time, he has a heart after God's own heart. That's the epitaph over his life, amen. And as he takes over a nation, I tell you, that nation starts shaping and forming under the authority of God. Something happens in people when the ruler, when the head of the house, when the head of the nation is serving God. There's a covering, amen. Look at Judges, it plays out. There's no covering, and they're going every which way. When you start reading the end of the book of Judges and the, and the false gods and the craziness that goes on, and oh my goodness, it's, your, it's not even the people of God anymore. You took away the covering, and these people are running around like headless chickens. Obviously, there were godly judges that rose up for a while. They did well, but usually not for long. It wasn't really until Samuel and the kings that dominion started to take a hold and provide this stability. You know, God saves us and he places us in the body where there is a covering and blessing and protection. And I've seen this play out over the years like nobody's business. That there is a covering. Amen. It's supernatural. It's how God operates. It's just that simple. You can, you can try to get into all the dynamics. It's, it's just how he operates. Look at judges. No covering. It's crazy. You go under later on when the kings rise up and, and the nation is prospering. There's something being shaped and molded. There's a stability. Never lost a battle. See, with the covering, it does... He does this for our benefit, actually for our survival, for actually our long-term benefit. He helps us not to do what is, when you got a covering, it helps you not to do what is right in your own eyes. Church might not be perfect, but I'll tell you what, it doesn't have to be because God is in the midst. He's in the details. He's paying attention to the small things. God is involved and he honors and he does look out after his church. Let's consider a second thought here in our text, and that's loyalty to God. And then you have to turn to Ruth. Because as I said, she lived in the exact same period. And so although you don't find them in one book, they're actually happening in one book at the same time. And I do believe there are probably other bright spots going on if you know God even in the midst of all the chaos and the craziness. But here we find loyalty. We find faithfulness. We find kindness and love. Right in the midst of all that, you find this episode of Ruth and Naomi and obviously eventually Boaz, who she marries. And you find just, just a, 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 you know, God at, at work, amen. You find... Uh, um, you know, loyal, loyalty as far as, you know, uh, um, uh, Ruth being loyal to her mother-in-law. She gets saved. And I don't know, she has already has a revelation of God and she's actually getting saved for the first time or she maybe she might be rededicating her life to God. I don't know. It could be either way, but she had a powerful uh, event that took place there. And we know Naomi had a powerful influence. And so I'm sure, you know, Naomi's been investing in her life over the years, evangelizing her. It is her daughter-in-law. 
Her son didn't marry a Moabite. And so the whole idea is that, I don't know what's going on here, but I know one thing, uh, something happened to Ruth that day. She made, she made a commitment to God in that very moment in our text. But she also made a commitment to Naomi. And so you see this loyalty, you know, carried out in a faithfulness to, to both. And so she stays with Naomi through thick or thin. I mean, Naomi was right. Go back to your household. Amen. You have a better chance. You have a better life if you go back to your family, which is true because of the, uh, of the social setting. She would have been better off than hanging out with her widowed mother-in-law who's, who's down the road. I mean, she has nothing to offer her. And yet she comes back with Naomi because she's not looking for an easier life. Amen. Now, here's a woman that, if you think about it, her life, you know, if you take a whole snapshot, at one point she's probably weeping at the loss of her husband. You know, at the end, she's in joy, holding a little boy in her hands, a little baby. Probably never thought she would have ever been there. But you see, she made a decision that day. She made a commitment to God. And when you make a commitment to God, you don't know exactly where your life is going to go. But it's going to be good. You don't know exactly which turn it's going to take. No one gets saved and just has this all figured out. Who would, who would guess in a million years where my life would have taken me? Never. I was just responding a sinner, getting saved. No clue. No clue what God had on my horizon and my future. And even my future now. She's putting the kingdom of God first. Even in a time when around her is decay and confusion. Because sometimes you'll be in those atmospheres where things around you seem like they're falling apart. But where's your commitment at, amen? Where are you at? She remains faithful to God and others around her. In spite of all the other nonsense that you read in the book of Judges. She's faithful to God. Right here is a life-saving fact. And that is putting the kingdom of God first. You'll never lose putting God first tonight. Never. You start backing him up in the line a little bit, you'll see some things. Slowly. See, no matter where our emotions might want to take us, we have to put the kingdom of God first. It didn't make her circumstances any better. I realize that. Because sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. But you know, eventually it turned around. She's willing to deal with the difficult situation. Now she's with Naomi, who's bitter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, she, by her own words, called me Mara. Like, whoa, that's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? Call me bitter. It's like, oh, great. I get to live with you. I'm sure it didn't help the scene. Amen. But yet her heart, she's she's developed a love for this woman. And she shows in her kindness and her gentleness to her ex-mother-in-law. And others notice it as well. You know, this book holds two contrasts. And one, they're living for themselves, and it does play out in ruin and confusion. 
They're so lost in their delusion. They don't know what God wants. They don't even factor God into their thinking anymore. And yet Ruth, on the other hand, places the kingdom of God first, even in her discomfort, even in you know, what she, the sacrifice that she's going to be facing. She puts God first no matter what. She knows what is right, and she knows what she needs to do. And she's not going to let anyone talk her out of it. I'm putting the kingdom of God first. <clears throat> Let's go. Because I love that verse. I wasn't going to read it, but I love that verse. Her mother-in-law stopped talking to her. It was a done deal. It's like, you know, I, I could sit here all day and talk to you. Well, you know what? If you go back with me, we got nothing to live in. We got no place to go, no food, no money. We got nothing. You can go back to your parents' house and everything will be like, you know, maybe not great, but hunky-dory. You know, at least you'll be eating. you have a shelter. No, there's no more of that. This woman made a decision. And she said, let's go. Let's see what God will do for us. So I want to think about, thirdly, God in the details. The book of Ruth opens up, <clears throat> before we get to our verse, it opens up with Elimelech and Naomi leaving Israel because of a famine and taking their family and going down to Moab. When I read this, I've always seen this not to be the, the right move. Why would you move your family from Israel to an, an idolatrous nation? Kind of like Lot going to Sodom. But anyways, I see three mistakes that we need to avoid, amen, when we face problems in life. The first one is unbelief. Running from your problems is not the answer. Number two is deception, trying to hide our mistakes instead of facing them. It's not the answer either. And the third thing is bitterness, blaming God for our trials. Can't blame God for the things that go on in life, which way they turn, how the cards are dealt. Amen. You have to be like this woman here. She's lost her husband. She's going into a bad situation. But you know what? She's committed to putting God first. When I talk about God in the details, that phrase is a little bit, it means really that he's in the little things of life or he's, he's into us really personally. The life has a spiritual climate to it. Spiritual climate is true for a nation. It's true for a home. And it's true for your heart. That you, no matter where you're at, amen, the, these climates are always existing. The climate, the spiritual climate, one of those three. If this is not all on, then things are not right. And our text, the nation's a mess because the spiritual climate is not right. In fact, God finally has to find a man who's got a heart after his own heart. If he's going to do anything, if he's going to change anything, he's got to get a man at the top named David that will eventually change the climate, the spiritual climate of that nation. And he does. At the end, amen, this nation, you know, it's established, it's protected, it's got the blessing of God on it. There's prosperity. He's going to give it over to his son. They're going to build the temple. Great things are about to happen, amen. But David has established a dominion. Do you think about it? His predecessor, Saul, he, wasn't a, he was disobedient. But if you read what happened to Saul at the end, one of the things it says is he went to see a witch. 
He went, he delved into witchcraft. He delved into outside of the, uh, of the kingdom of God, if you will. He stepped into uh, something that God said, you know what, I have to bring an end to this quick. Because this is going to affect the nation. And that's not the direction I'm going, amen. I, want, I need to raise up a man after my own heart because I want to change the spiritual climate of this nation. And Saul, you know, he wasn't horrible in that sense. But at the end, man, he was going the wrong direction. Finally goes to see a witch and God says, okay, game's over. Game's over. Because you know what? He had to take the field because this is going to affect an entire nation. The spiritual climate's bad. Usually things are not right. But you know, I thought about this as I was looking at this. Sometimes the spiritual climate is not bad. Think about Job. In fact, God said the spiritual climate in Job's heart was better than anybody else. And yet the climate was good, but his life unraveled. Took a tumble. Ruth changed her spiritual climate. She dedicated her life to God. Amen. And, uh, you know, she just simply put her foot down and said, I'm serving God. And Astoria. And sure, she, she encountered problems at first, but her life did level out. But then so did Job's. And the thing they both have in common is... It, what, whether it's Job's life falling apart, being a righteous man, or, or uh, uh, you know, Ruth's life coming together because she made a righteous stand for God, both of them had one thing in common, and God was first in their lives. The kingdom of God was first. The point is, you can live for God no matter what's going on. You can live for God. Yeah, well, this is fun. This is... That, uh, Hey, this book was falling apart. And in the midst, you got a woman who's dedicating her life to, to God, putting him first. And it's hard to understand that this is right in the middle, not over here, right in smack dab in the middle of everything else that's going on in the craziness of that country. And yet God is moving in these people's lives. He's moving in this, this trio, these three people. There's three things that will help us before I close. First of all, Christianity is about God in your life. Christianity is not about a religion. It's not about just, you know, being religious. It's about God in my life. When I got saved, when I became a Christian, when I joined Christianity, none of those phrases made any sense to me. My salvation was God was now in my life. Whether I, I didn't know I was Pentecostal, I didn't know a lot of things. <laughs> all I knew was God was in my life. Call me a Christian, all right, call me Christian, whatever you want to call me, but God is in my life. That's what Christianity is. That's what living for God is. It's God in your life, amen. And even as we read in Judges and all this mess, amen, God, is, it seems like God left town, but he didn't leave town. Amen. God is in the details. Amen. He's right there in their midst. He's reconciling lives unto himself. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's helping Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, rather. You know, he's making something beautiful out of their lives. Even when everything around them is falling down, God is moving in their lives. It's almost like those commercials. In England, they had a commercial about a cereal you ate. 
And everybody's in England, they range. You know, they're all standing there, it's raining, and this guy's standing there, and there's no rain coming down on him because he ate this certain cereal. A little bit of sunshine. It's real noticeable because England's weather is a lot like this weather. <laughs> so he's just sitting there. He's enjoying life, you know. But it's almost like in this text, isn't it? It's like it's raining everywhere, but here's Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, and the sun's out, the birds are chirping. They're all dry. Everything else is falling apart. Christianity is about God in our lives at the end of the day. You know what else I see in this text? I see the Holy Spirit at work. I know he's not mentioned by name. I understand that. But he's guiding. He's direction, directing. I, I see him typified in Naomi's life. She's navigating this absolute disaster. She's navigating Ruth's life. She's telling her what to do with Boaz, all this kind of weird stuff, you know what I'm saying? And uh, it's just, it just amazing, amen. She's guiding Ruth through, through all these encounters, trying to bring about the will of God. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? He guides us and directs us. We might not know why and where or how, but he does. And he directs our lives into things. He directs our lives, amen, into, into what he's doing in his will. You'll trust God in difficult times. The Holy Spirit will guide and he will direct. He will speak. He will show you things. Give you hope. Give you comfort. That's what it's about. Yeah. God's in my life. It's raining over here. But the Holy Ghost is moving and directing. He's just showing me that he's involved. I mean, when you read this story, some authors say this is the greatest literature ever written. In fact, some people say this is the greatest book in the Bible. Just because of the literature and how it's written. It's like a perfect story. But it's real. It's not just a story. It's, it's people's real lives. And how this unfolds. And this foreigner, this Moabite, you can work out all the details. She shouldn't be in the house of the Lord forever. Because <laughs> she's a Moabite. Yeah, she's in the lineage of Jesus. That messes your theology. My point is simply this. You know, here's God, and he's, he's working on behalf of this Gentile lady. Bringing about his will. Bringing about the future and what God is doing. And the Holy Ghost is just moving miraculously. Oh, go lay at his feet. Isn't that weird? You read that? You're like, you almost feel like you don't want to look, you know. It's like, and she's. Laying at his feet, and you're like turning the page going, oh, God, what's going to happen now? This, <laughs> it's just weird, isn't it? It's, it's like, and he, you know, they kind of, because he was, he was married before he went to bed, you know, it's like, I'm not too sure what's all going on here, you know. Like, whew. But it worked out well. It's a good story. Amen. You know, there's a third thing here I want to look at, and that is God is after our hearts. As we move through this book, God is going to captivate Naomi's heart. It's not your circumstance that God's consumed with this evening. It's, it's your heart that he's consumed with. It's through the heart that God can and does change the circumstances of our lives. 
See, God can move through a good heart. He can move through a good heart. He can change the landscape of your life. He can turn the page, I'm telling you, on a dime. If you got a good heart. Circumstances just don't change because you, you flip the coin right. No, it's the heart thing, man. That's what he's after. That's what he wants. In the midst of craziness, amen, that's exactly what God's doing. He's moving in the circumstances of life. There's another thing here. So there's power in the obedience of faith. See, it's here that this woman steps into destiny. Ruth and Boaz step into the lineage of Jesus. I mean, they're right where God would have them to be. Fits just like a glove in what God is doing in the earth. The last thing is, no matter how bleak things are, our hope is in God. He's in control. He's protecting these two ladies, protecting Naomi and Ruth. Just the fact that Ruth wasn't molested by the rape, reapers, excuse me, even though she was a foreigner. It's amazing how she was directed and guided to a godly man named Boaz. God provides handfuls on purpose to take care of their needs as they sell the extra grain. I tell you, God's all over the store. He's in their lives. He's moving, amen. There is so much hope in this story. And if you, just, if you read it just for a moment, it's a hopeless situation. But there's a sovereign God, amen. There's nothing that he cannot do. Never forget that. There's nothing he can't do, amen, because he's sovereign. They connected. Nobody tells God, can't do that. You know, the devil's not sitting there with the, with the red flag. Oh, excuse me, that's out of bounds. No, he, he's not even on the pit. God's sovereign. And there's not only nothing impossible for him, there's nothing he cannot do. Nobody tells him no. Well, you might. <laughs> that's naughty. Don't do that. You might want to do what you please, amen, but it comes to a bad end. It's loyalty, faithfulness, a good heart. I tell you, that'll take us on to destiny. I want to close with this illustration. John McCain, who was the senator of Arizona, died some time ago. He was actually a POW for about five and a half years. And um, he said all the prisoners were put together in a room right about 1971. He had a friend in there named Mike Christian. And um, he said at that time, as the war went on, that um, they got some care packages from home. And so Mike got a bamboo needle. So after several months of work, he completed a small flag, sewed it in the inside of his shirt. And every afternoon before eating their bowl of soup, the men would hang Mike's shirt on the wall and say the Pledge of Allegiance. McCain said that was the most important part of our day. The flag was ultimately discovered when the Vietnamese searched their cells. They took Mike Christian and beat him mercilessly for several hours. Bruised, bleeding, they threw him back in the cell that night. <clears throat> the men tried to you know, fix his wounds and such, but wasn't, you know, was very difficult. He said late at night, McCain was, uh, he saw Mike over in the corner 
there's just a little bit of a light bulb hanging, not very much light. Through his eyes, who were very swollen shut after the beating, he was still holding that needle, and he began working on another flag. Because pledging allegiance to the principles of our nation was essential. Here he is in a prisoner of war camp. Doesn't matter. His allegiance is to the flag. His allegiance, amen, is to principles that he stands for. See, loyalty to God, whatever this season in life, is essential. I don't care what life throws at you. Amen. Our allegiance to God is paramount before anything else. Amen. Nothing better than serving God, putting him first, no matter what's going on. Amen. God's worthy to be served and to be lived for. Amen. Let's bow our heads this evening. I guess it comes down to the question, where's our allegiance? Is it doing right in our own eyes? Or is it a heart sold out to the kingdom of God? They both pay dividends, but loyalty to God is a higher, higher value. Here's Ruth, and out of confession of faith in God. As time went on, life ironed out. God helped her. She had no idea the direction she was going. She would have never thought that she would have married a man of well means, had children, been able to take care of her mother-in-law. As far as she was concerned, maybe she'd have been gleaning, gleaning from the crops, gleaning, gleaning from the fields to the end of her life. She had no guarantees. Her mother-in-law tried to talk her out going back to her parents and back to her family. She had more opportunity there, but she said, no, if I'm going to live for God, I'm going to live for God. If I go back, we, all we have is chemos, all we have is the idols and the false gods. I'll never serve God if I go back. I'm going with you. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. 